All right, it's episode 31, Pain Points of Wealth, and the great reopening is upon us. And if you think it's not, all you need to do is look at Miami right now. It's spring break. There's no rules. Everything's open, and people are going crazy. So you can almost imagine what the rest of the world is going to look like as we slowly recover and we slowly reopen throughout the rest of the year. And again, what Bob, Chris, and I have been talking about week after week is the economy is going to boom. It's going to be red hot. It's coming. We're going to address that on the show today. We're going to talk all about it, what's going on with the market, how to invest your money, and we're going to bestow upon you some of our longest-term thoughts and wisdoms about the markets, investing, financial planning, so you can apply it to your own financial planning. So let's hop to it. We've got a great show today. Hit the music. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod, Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Hey, Ryan, can you believe it? They tell these kids, first of all, you can't go to class. You can sit at home in your parents' basement and take courses online. You can't use the gym. You can't use the cafeteria. And now it's time for spring break. They're not taking no for an answer anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the bottom line. I think that pent-up demand that we've talked about all the time is finally coming to fruition. And it's funny because you can use all the indicators in the world. You know, All the economists love to talk about the manufacturing numbers. They like to talk about unemployment going down and all the technical terms when it comes to the economy. But let's just keep it simple. Look at Miami right now. Look at people going crazy. Look at them partying. That just says to me that the animal spirits, the human spirit is dying to get out, dying to live life. And the whole globe is going to be doing the same thing. It's just going to be awesome, guys, come the end of the year. Yeah, it's so true, right? So many of my clients right now, they're starting to plan vacations. They're starting to plan trips. They're making plans for the summer. They're making plans for like the next 18 months, just assuming that the economy is going to be fully reopened. You know, we have to remind everybody all the time is that markets are forward looking. You know, every once in a while, you're going to get another scary headline. Oh my God, Europe is shutting down again. Now there's now concerns that people aren't going to travel, that people aren't going to go out for business. And all of a sudden you're seeing oil start to drop a little bit. Well, I'm not buying it. Oil's going higher. Once this spring, summer driving season kicks in, not a few people are going to be driving. Everybody's going to be driving. Everybody's going to be flying and everybody's going to be cruising because the vaccinations are getting out much faster than anybody anticipated. Well, that's the thing. The news always focuses on the negative, right? Like, oh my God, this AstraZeneca vaccine, there might be problems with it. It might slow things down. Well, how about how remarkable <laughs> it's been that we've seen literally going from several vaccines to having no vaccines last year, already disseminated to the public. And in the US every week, it's just astronomical the amount of people that are getting vaccinated on a daily basis. Let's not focus on the positive. Let's focus and magnify you know, a couple of these smaller issues that are happening, these speed bumps along the way of like supersonic growth. And I mean, that's it, Bob. You just have to really focus right now on the big picture. And the big picture is we're going towards supersonic, crazy, amazing growth in the global economy, and everyone's going to benefit from that. Well, you got household savings up $2 trillion by the end of the year. And you know, I've been at this for 46 years, guys. And every time I turn on the news channels, they say, you know, the consumer is not going to be there this year. They've been 100% wrong on the consumer since you've been born. And they got $2 trillion 
sitting in their accounts, it's going to be spent. Well, you know what, guys? I was talking to a client of mine yesterday, and he sent me a picture over text of a boat that he's going to buy. This is a $100,000 water ski boat that he plans on using and taking his friends out all summer. So the news is saying that people aren't buying stuff. I think they're sorely mistaken. Chris, I have another client that's trying to buy a boat and can't find any. Which is another thing. The constraint on the supply chains is just insane right now, right? We're not even like completely open and we're having trouble getting goods and services. And Bob, you can attest to this. Anyone buying a home can attest to this. As you're furnishing your new condo, it's hard to get stuff right now. And what blows my mind is demand is only going to heat up more you know, as the year progresses. And like, how much more screwed up are these supply chains going to be? Well, I don't want to add any anecdotal evidence, but I still don't have my couch. Yeah. Case in point right there. The other mistake that I'm seeing right now that investors are making, and I don't think a lot of us grasp this, is we think the market's going up right now because the economy is going to be great this year. And that's why the market did well last year, right? And people don't realize that the market went up last year in anticipation of all the good stuff that's going to happen this year. So, you know, the one thing you have to start thinking about, and this is what markets are looking at, is not what's happening this year, but what's the year 2022 going to look like? Invariably, that's what you have to start thinking about as you build your investment strategy. Well, that's the problem, right? You know, the newest voice of the market is no longer Warren Buffett. I mean, he's 90 years old and his partner, good old Chuck Munger, is 97 years old, where they used to fill the void every day in the news and talk about value stocks and great companies. Well, now they're napping. They're not around to talk. So they got this Kathy Woods of ARK Investments out there. You know, she came out the other day while Tesla's been dropping every day. She said, oh, no, it's going to 3,000 in the next two or three years. So I don't know. Maybe she's as smart as Warren Buffett, but I'm kind of thinking maybe not. Well, you know, on last week's podcast, we did talk about how Tesla executives are starting to sell some of their stock. And I think the point that we made was that company executives don't tend to sell their stock if they think it's going to do better in the future. Absolutely, Chris. I mean, they've been all along as Tesla's gone up, they've issued new stock, right? So they're selling, they're not buying. And that's always a big indicator for me. When the company is selling their own equity, they're telling you there's not a lot of upside from this point forward. Well, guys, this is classic. Investors tend to invest in the rear view mirror, right? So you're hearing a lot of strategists, a lot of economists, a lot of investors talking about how tech is still the place to be. That work from home trend that was awesome last year because we were locked down is still the place to be. And that's probably the most wrong thing you can do as an investor right now. And I joke about this. You know, The perfect world last year, guys, was it's 2020. The vision of the future was I'm staying at home. I'm on my Peloton while I'm on a Zoom call, but I turned off the screen so I can smoke my technologically advanced weed pen. And now I have the munchies. So now I'm ordering cookies off of Seamless. And I feel very, very environmentally conscious because I haven't driven my huge Suburban in a week that's gobbling fossil fuels. And you know what? Even better, I'm going to save up over the next decade so I can buy a Tesla in 20 years. You know, Rye, the planet thanks you for that. But that trend is over. It's played out. And I think that's where investors make the mistake is they're not skating to where the puck is, as Wayne Gretzky once said. You know, they're looking at what's already transpired. And that's one of the biggest mistakes we've learned you can make as an investor. You know, Chris, I was watching a lot of the March Madness tournament this past weekend. And of course, Ryan's Alma mater, Villanova, is in the Sweet 16, as they always seem to be. Unfortunately, your sister's alma mater got upset. Florida lost the other day. But you know what I noticed? During the commercials, Invesco QQQ Trust is advertising. You know, it's the biggest NASDAQ non-financial stock fund. And it was a big winner in the last 10 years. But so far this year, it's down 
for the year and down 5% just in the last month. They're advertising for money. All of a sudden, you know, the market seems to know tech's not the place to be. I totally agree, Dad. And you know what? You had talked about how Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are out taking their naps, but the reality is, is they're still very relevant. The fact that they sold off their Apple stock and now they're out buying things that are more value-based, you know, things that are still trading at low values that have a lot more potential in an opening economy. You know, Chris, while tech is down to so far year to date, small value, which most investors don't even have a penny invested, is up 20%. It's our biggest winner so far this year. And I think it's going to go a lot higher. You know what? And you got to give pain capital management, the pain boys credit where credit is due. And we were talking about small caps way back in the fall, talking about how their earnings were going to be so much better than most asset classes. And of course, the market caught up with that eventually. Man, man. You know, when you have inflation, when interest rates are going up, you know, small does better than big, you know, value does better than growth. International does better than the U.S. And unfortunately, majority of the portfolios we're reviewing, and we're reviewing about 50 a month of non-paying capital management clients, and they're all positioned for last year's portfolio, the last 10 years portfolio. They're not built for what's happening right now. And it's in plain sight. You can't miss it. Well, and the irony is growth stocks are not where the growth is going to be. Value stocks are the new growth stocks. (laughs) Because these old school value companies that we talk about is where the opportunity is. And I'll give you an example of this. There's a company called Bloomin' Brands, which owns a lot of these restaurant chains. You got to love that Bloomin' Onion. Just a good old-fashioned business of restaurant chains. And Americans, we love to go out to eat. We know that. Their earnings are going to go up 80% over the next year. This isn't a technology company. And the crazy part about it is they're cutting costs dramatically. So you know, we have this saying in the financial world, operating leverage, meaning when you cut costs a lot and all of a sudden your demand comes back, your profits just go crazy. And that's what the market's going to start seeking out. You know, The new growth is operating leverage. It's not new technology and innovation. That's already happened. It's already priced in. You know, Rai, your favorite people, the people you tell everybody to ignore every week, You know, the Wall Street analyst and the economist, they're telling everybody, ah, there's nothing to worry about. Raising rates suggests an improving economy, rising inflation. So you know, don't worry about it. You know, the Fed's going to hold rates down to zero forever. But you know what? You have to remember that rates, yeah, sure, they were higher prior to when the pandemic happened, but the stock market was a lot lower prior to when the pandemic stocked than where it is now. We're a lot higher, especially in tech companies, and rates are rising. Buyer beware is what I'm saying. And rising rates aren't necessarily a bad thing. Rising rates are a good thing. They show a sign of a growing economy. It does, Chris. But you know what? Meanwhile, the Wall Street analysts are saying, well, just ignore it. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It's going to shrink the PE ratios, the valuations of growth companies. Growth companies do horrible when rates are going up, when inflation's on the rise. Good quality value stocks, small company, mid-sized companies, international, emerging markets, that's the place to be. Look, if you haven't gotten the memo, if you haven't listened to our podcast week after week like you should, bottom line is yesterday's winners are yesterday's winners. You have to position your portfolio for the winners of tomorrow because invariably markets are forward-looking. Hey, if you're enjoying our podcast, Pain Points of Wealth, maybe you love our podcast, don't be shy. Click on the like button, subscribe, put a comment in the comment section. Let us know what you want to talk about, anything financially speaking. We'd love to address it. And if you want to get our podcast delivered every week to your inbox, go ahead and click on the subscription button. All right, gentlemen, it's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. So Bob and Chris, when it comes to the, I'd say, 2,000 or so families whose wealth we manage, 
through trial and error over the years, we've come up with a lot of beliefs and philosophies that essentially we kind of live by. So I thought I'd give you guys some statements about financial planning, and you can tell me if they jive with the pain capital viewpoint, the pain family viewpoint, or it's completely counter to what our beliefs are as wealth advisors. So the first one, you should always pay off your house as soon as you can. Agree or disagree? Well, it depends on what generation you're talking about, right? Because baby boomers always own real estate. Millennials, not necessarily. Like They usually rent. So first of all, you have to have a mortgage to pay off before you can give advice on what to do with your mortgage. I disagree. You know, Especially now, considering how low rates are, most of you have interest rates on your homes that are below 4%. So if you think about it, if your portfolios are averaging you know, 4 or 5% a year, why would you sock your money into a mortgage when you can make more money with that money in the market? Well, first off, Bob still thinks millennials are people that live in their parents' basements and don't have a life. <laughs> Most millennials now are like your age, Chris. They're, they're turning 40. And you know, my experience is millennials are buying houses, especially with the pandemic. We saw a lot of people leave New York City. And you know, the question becomes, because rates are so low, is it if you have the cash, do you just buy the house outright? Or if you own your house outright and you do have a mortgage, you just pay it off. And I would argue, you know, based on the numbers, mathematically with interest rates so low, you're better off having a mortgage. But Bob and Chris, as you and I know, with baby boomers, sometimes it's just about peace of mind. Maybe it does make sense to keep that mortgage outstanding, but maybe you just don't like having debt. Yeah, you know, I have an old expression, you know, take that mortgage balance down to the sleeping point. If you find that you're waking up in the middle of the night, not because, you know, baby boomers, we wake up two or three times in the middle of the night for other reasons, but if you're waking up, because that mortgage is on your mind, then pay it down. Okay, guys. Second statement. Individual bonds are better than bond funds. I know the answer to this. Well, I guess I'll take the lead on this. You know what bond funds are, guys? They're weapons of mass financial destruction. And the fuse has been lit. Bond funds are selling off this year. The longer the duration, the longer the maturity, the bigger the hit. I mean, we're talking about first quarter. You're down 15% on long-term bonds. There's no reason to be in these bond funds because they're going to just keep going down. Bob, let me be clear. So you don't like bond funds. Okay. I'm going to be crystal clear. I don't like bond funds. Never did, never will. You're absolutely right, Dad. And I like to call these the Trojan horse of the bond world because they're marketed as bonds. They're called bonds, but they don't behave like bonds. So first and foremost, they don't have a set date of maturity, meaning that there's not a date in the future where you know you're going to get your money back. Two, you don't have a set rate of interest. So your interest rate or your rate of return is variable. And three, you're invested with millions of other emotional people. So like in a time like now, where interest rates are going up, you're seeing the price of your bonds go down. So that's creating volatility. And what happens when the average investor sees their investment going down? They panic. So Chris, you're telling me that if someone right now called their advisor and said, tell me about my fixed income investments, and they say bond funds, that's an oxymoron, right? Because there's nothing fixed about a bond fund, is there? The only thing that's going to fix is it's going to ruin your return. Yeah, it's almost like being in an elevator. When rates go up, bond prices go down. If you're in a bond fund, it's like going down in an elevator with a lot of people you don't like. Well, wait a minute, guys. I'm confused. Uh, We don't like bond funds. Does that mean you don't like bonds? Contrary, Bob, we love bonds, owning bonds outright, right? If you know you have a set date in the future, like Chris said, when the money comes due, like that's the whole point, right? Take the risk in the stock market de-risk in the bond market. And I think that's where a lot of investors get it wrong. And you have to look at your portfolio and ask yourself, do I own bond funds or do I own real bonds that come due? You want to know that you're going to get the return of principal 
And a bond fund just doesn't do that. You know, Chris, you and I just worked on a case. A client had $6 million and they were being treated like a small retail client, right? They were buying bond funds, investing in bond funds based on their stockbroker's recommendation, something that anybody with $1,000 can do. Where meanwhile, they could have a portfolio of individually bonds bought on an institutional level, right? Able to buy bonds wholesale versus retail. And they're able to get a portfolio of bonds with a fixed rate of return, with a fixed maturity date, where the worst they'll ever do is go to all their money back with interest. In a bond fund, they could have losses forever. They're already down 10% year to date in one of their government bond funds that was pitched to them by a stockbroker. That sounds really good. I would love to have a portion of my portfolio that comes due. And not only that, but it also adds an extra layer of diversification. Like We wouldn't have been able to rebalance and add money back in the market hadn't we held high quality individual bonds. You know, the biggest scary thing is, guys, the bond market has been in a big booming bull market for 40 years. And that ended last year. Right? We had the end of the bull market in bonds, the end of interest rates declining. Interest rates are now going up. So you have a whole cadre of advisors out there who've never seen a bear market in bonds. They've never seen bonds go down. So the question you have to ask yourself if you have an advisor who has you in bond funds, is it they don't know or is it they don't care? Well, I think also the other theme here on the show today is the dynamics are changing. The environment's changing for investing and you've got to adjust your portfolio accordingly, which brings me to my next statement, gentlemen, and I use that term loosely as always. Annuities are a ripoff. Do you agree, disagree? Well, first of all, guys, you know there are no great investments and there are no bad investments. The only thing that matters in your portfolio is it appropriate. And annuities sometimes can be appropriate, but unfortunately, like any other product that's sold, you know, by insurance companies, by Wall Street, by banks, it's not always positioned for the right reasons. Well, the operative word here is sometimes, and I'd say sometimes is maybe less than 5% of the time in our experience, because I won't call it a ripoff, but let's just say there's like very handsome fees built into most of these annuities. And the insurer makes out very, very well for giving you something that's perceived as a quote unquote safe investment. And you know, you guys just talked about that $6 million case you worked on just a week or so ago. And it's just mind blowing when you break down a lot of these products, like an annuity is a financial product, or you know, some of these brokerage products, like these structured notes that the big firms sell, is if you start to go under the hood and start to look at how these things work, there's so many fees involved, you're basically putting yourself in a position not to win. Because if every year you have all these institutions taking this money, chipping away at your investment, it just whittles away what you have later in life. And it's so critical to understand what you're paying in these annuities and other investments. Well, let's put that into perspective with fees, Rai. Recently, I actually worked through a case with a client of mine who has a variable annuity, which is an annuity that has investments in it, you know, like mutual funds, ETFs, that kind of thing. So we actually went through line by line item and went through the fees of this annuity with the administrative costs annually, the cost of what they call the subaccounts, which are the investment portion. And then there's something called a rider. With those three things, the fees added up to 3.5% a year. Now think about this. A normal diversified portfolio over a 20-year period may do, let's call it 6% conservatively. If you're getting 3% taken out in fees, you're down to a 3% return. Well, you might be better off just sitting in cash over that long period of time. It's crazy. Now, first of all, guys, I listen to the radio every week on the weekends as I drive around. And I listen to these people pitching the product as an annuity. Guaranteed income for life. Guaranteed principal. 
The worst you'll do is have your money. You'll get some of the market return. You'll make stock market returns with no risk. How could that be bad? As the old saying goes, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 70 years helping individuals just like you with their planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything we teach you here on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially at any stage of your journey. But if you have over $500,000 and you want a more hands-on approach and guidance, you can apply for a free financial review at www.paincm.com slash financial plan, or you can click on the link below. We can put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, and a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on the right path to achieving financial independence. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. Hey, if you're enjoying our podcast, you love our podcast, don't be shy. Click on the like button and go ahead and subscribe if you want to have our podcast delivered to you weekly right to your inbox so you can never miss an episode of Pain Points of Wealth. All right, guys, it's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. Okay, Bob, AT&T's plan to launch its own quote-unquote artificial moons in 1962, resulted in Telstar 1, the first active communication satellite. Today's Earth is crowded with thousands of satellites. Many like Telstar 1 are no longer working, but are still circling the globe. Yeah, right. I read about the big traffic jam in the skies, but you know, really kind of brings back to roost. 1962, I remember when Telstar went up. But you know, back then, my parents were drinking Manhattans and boxcars. And I had a bunch of Chris's friends over the other day. And now they're drinking the same thing. So we have satellites, and now we have the full cycle on cocktails. I don't know where to go with that, Bob, but there's something deep in there, and we'll think about it later. Chris, exchange-traded funds that explicitly focus on socially responsible investments have 43% higher fees than widely popular standard exchange-traded funds. So is Wall Street really being socially conscious, or are they just cashing in? Well, I've never known Wall Street to be more conscious about their investors' wallets versus their own wallets. So I have to say Wall Street's probably being more conscious about their own wallet. And how socially responsible are these funds really? It's such a vague area that it sounds like a lot of great branding to me. Bob, Bubble Mania went to an entirely new level this past week when a Brooklyn man sold for a crypto-verified token representing ownership of an audio flatulence recording for 85 bucks. Yeah, Ry, I read that story, and it turns out it's the same guy that bought the Brooklyn Bridge a week before. Chris, the S&P 500 index has risen by an average of 36% during the nine periods since 1980, when 10-year yields have also moved higher, kind of like today. Stock prices and bond yields tend to move in tandem because higher yields tend to be a sign of a growing economy. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, we're predicting 6.5% GDP yield by the end of the year. I'd say that that's probably happening right now. Yeah, higher yields and inflation are actually good for stocks. You don't want to sit in cash. Bob, technology investments are typically incompatible with value stocks. Their respective returns have been in sync only like 25% of the time. So what you're telling me, Rye, if all of your investments go up at the same time and they all go down at the same times, you're not diversified. The only free lunch on Wall Street is asset allocation, what we call diversification. You want to make sure you're in the part of the market that's partying right now, not the part that's sitting on the sidelines. Well said. 
All right, Chris. Goldman Sachs calculated the highest price to earnings slice of the S&P 500 was 231% more expensive than the lowest price to earnings one at the beginning of this year, just meaning the most expensive stocks were way more expensive than the cheapest stocks in the S&P 500 index. It's the widest gap since 2000, 20 years ago. The premium recently shrunk to 161%, but the 40-year average is 103%. So there's still a wide gap between expensive stocks and cheap stocks. Well, the silver lining here is that it's not too late to get in the market. There's still investments out there, particularly on the value side, that are inexpensive, and it's a cheap way to get into the markets and get invested early. Well, I get this question all the time. Isn't the market overvalued? And my answer always is, what market? Right? There's so many markets out there and so many markets are cheap. That's again why you want to have a diversified portfolio. All right, Chris and Bob, another great episode. If you like our podcast, love it. Don't be shy. Click on that like button, subscribe. And as always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at bebullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.